This is ASHA Voices, I'm JD Gray. More common than autism is developmental language disorder being overlooked. Our guest today says yes. And in her award-winning research, she explains why. One piece of the answer is that DLD is a hidden disorder. Unlike a fluency disorder where people are stuttering, an articulation disorder where the sounds are mispronounced, a language disorder is not nearly as obvious. Researcher and advocate Carla McGregor joins this episode of ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from the Hannon Center. Since 1975, the Hannon Center has been a leader in parent-implemented early language interventions. Stop by their virtual booth at the ASHA convention and discover how best to engage and support parents. Support for Asha Voices is also provided by CapTel from T-Mobile, saluting professionals like you who are committed to providing inclusive communication for everyone, regardless of their income, technology access, or needs. And they put your patients first with exceptional care 24-7. Learn more at t-mobile.com slash CapTel. Carla McGregor's career is dedicated to developmental language disorder, or DLD. DLD, which includes specific language impairment, is a neurodevelopmental condition that affects how a child learns and uses language, and Carla says it doesn't get the attention it deserves. Carla is the director of the Word Learning Laboratory at Boystown National Research Hospital and founder of DLD and Me, a group advocating for awareness and providing research-based resources on the subject. In 2020, she published the article, How We Fail Children with Developmental Language Disorder. In the Journal of Language, Speech, and Hearing in Schools article, Carla makes an argument for raising awareness of this often hidden but prevalent language disorder. The article was met with acclaim, including an ASHA Journal's Editor's Award. When we spoke, I noted the article's provocative title. Well, I didn't select that title to be provocative. I selected it because I I thought it was time to state clearly that these children, these individuals who have DLD as a population, they're not getting the attention in, in the clinical realm or the research realm that they really merit. DLD has clear impacts on a person's well-being and development, their ability to learn and communicate. And I think it's really important that we start paying attention to these children and their families. What inspired you to write the article at this time? I understand there was a similar article published around 10 years or so ago. Right, well, the article you're referring to is a paper by Dorothy Bishop, and really it was that paper that inspired me to think about this issue more deeply and to spend some of my energy on advocacy efforts because in that paper, Dr. Bishop makes made the point that the research attention paid to DLD was far, far lower than research attention paid to almost every other neurodevelopmental disorder. I believe she compared DLD to 31 other conditions. And that paper was, well, now it's a little more than 10 years old. And I wondered if in the decade that followed the paper, if we had made any gains, if we were doing a better job in serving these children and trying to understand the nature of the problem with our research activities. And so that's really what I did. It was a decade later, and I replicated her methods and 
sadly found that we really haven't budged. There's more research attention on DLD than there was 10 years ago, but there's more research on all conditions than there was 10 years ago. So in terms of relative attention paid, we're still really ignoring this particular problem. You open the article by writing, quote, for over two decades, we have known that children with developmental language disorders are underserved, end quote. Why do you feel DLD is not receiving the attention or awareness it deserves? I think it's a very complicated answer, but one piece of the answer is that DLD is a hidden disorder. Unlike a fluency disorder where people are stuttering an articulation disorder where the sounds are mispronounced. We hear those, right? That's pretty obvious to our ears. But a language disorder is not nearly as obvious. These children are not necessarily going to sound different than other children. They will present with language development, of course, that is less mature than other children. But very few people, besides an expert trained um, speech language pathologists would have a model of what is developmentally appropriate for language development in their heads. I think they are missed. They're often missed, especially the ones who don't have, who have few other problems. So we know, for example, that if a child has DLD and a speech problem, they're more likely to be identified. If they have DLD and an attention problem or any kind of comorbid behavioral problem, they're more likely to be identified. But if the language is, is pretty much the sole issue, it doesn't mean it's not an important issue, but it just tends to go under the radar. Could you briefly tell us what an SLP might be looking for whenever they are looking to identify DLD? Sure. That depends a lot on the age or developmental stage of the child. So in a very young child, some signs might be that the child is late to begin talking, that the child is uh, frustrated because they are having difficulty getting their point across or being understood or maybe not understanding what other people say to them. When the child gets to late preschool, kindergarten, in a more, perhaps more group level interaction with the peers, they might stand out because they aren't communicating as well as their peers. And then, of course, in the school years, problems learning to read would be a sign. Problems understanding and participating in classroom communication would be a sign. I think all of those are reasons to refer and assess. When it comes to the assessment itself, speech pathologists use a combination of standardized tests Um, interviews with the families, observation of the child, to kind of put together a profile of strengths and weaknesses, and then to make an informed decision about whether a diagnosis of developmental language disorder is appropriate. In the article, Carla lists four reasons as to why there could be a lack of awareness and research on DLD. One, outside of professionals like SLPs, DLD is not a well-known disorder. Two, it's a hidden condition. Three points to policy constraints. And then finally, she mentions one more thing. Carla writes, quote, education culture constrains diagnosis of DLD. 
The first step toward assessing needs is the identification or, in medical terms, diagnosis of an impairment when undertaking that step. The SLP is being asked to apply a medical model in an educational environment, end quote. And Carla goes on to write, quote, even when the school SLP is confident in the diagnosis of DLD, she may find that the mismatch between her role as a pathologist and the culture of the educational setting inhibits her from sharing this diagnosis with parents. The dissonance has unfortunate consequences for families living with DLD, end quote. I asked Carla if she would talk a little bit more about the dissonance and the constraints that could be arriving from education culture. Yeah, it's a complicated situation. So, I think maybe the way to begin thinking about it is to consider some other neurodevelopmental conditions. Most of them, if not all of them, have a medical component and an educational component. So for example, a person with autism is typically diagnosed in some sort of medical or clinical setting by a team. The SLP might well be on that team, but not necessarily responsible for making the diagnosis. And then the child with autism goes to school and the SLP and other, perhaps other members of the special education team need to assess that child to see if he or she qualifies for services under federal law. Right. And so those kinds of services are interventions, classroom supports, some children have an aid. Um, it could be all kinds of things depending on the needs of the child. When it comes to DLD, they certainly can qualify for services at schools. Most of them would qualify under the category speech and language impairment. And many of them do. I'm not saying that they all go unnoticed, but there isn't that parallel medical or clinical arm. The constraint then is that a child with DLD is almost always going to be diagnosed in a school setting. And there is some some dissonance or conflict there because making a diagnosis is more a piece of a medical model. Qualifying a child for services is what the educational goal is but they just don't have this other arm to do the diagnosis. So then it, I think, falls back on the school speech pathologist to kind of do both. And I know policies, and in terms of how policies are enacted, there's a lot of variability from school district to district. So I think some SOPs don't face a lot of barriers in doing this, but others certainly do. Others are that have been told that uh, they hear, you know, you do not diagnose. And so if they don't diagnose and no one else is, then children are going missed. And parents, I think, are confused because they don't have clear language and descriptions for understanding what's going on with their child. You suggest a solution may come in the form of interprofessional practice. I would love to see that. I mean, I'm in a medical center, a research hospital, And we certainly do see many children on our caseloads here who have DLD. And so it's it's not that that's non-existent, but it isn't nearly as common as it is for some other neurodevelopmental conditions, as I just said. So I, I do think that would be, it would be wonderful to have those two paths of care for these children to be a more consistent option for all families. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we discuss intervention, and Carla tells us what led her to become an advocate and not solely a researcher in this area. 
support for Asher Voices comes from the Hannon Center. If you'll be at the Asher Convention on November 15th through 22nd, look out for two exciting virtual presentations from the Hannon Center that examine the outcomes of two Hannon programs offered via telepractice. Hannon's More Than Words program supports families of children with autism, while Target Word supports families of children who are late talkers. See what the research says about the impact of these two parent-implemented interventions. Support for Asher Voices also provided by CapTel from T-Mobile. CapTel from T-Mobile shares your values and commitment to patients, providing inclusive communication for everyone, regardless of their income, technology access, or needs. They offer captioned telephones with exceptional 24-7 care, simple one-button access to U.S.-based customer services reps, and phones that fit all your patients' needs. CapTel from T-Mobile puts your patients first. Check them out at t-mobile.com slash CapTel. Only for people with hearing loss, federally funded, requires certification and registration. Restrictions apply. We're rejoining our conversation with developmental language disorder researcher and advocate Carla McGregor. In the first half of our conversation, we discussed identifying or diagnosing the language disorder. But now we're going to discuss what intervention looks like. Intervention, well, like diagnosis, depends on the developmental level of the child and the particular settings and challenges that that individual child is facing. With younger children, intervention often involves parent coaching. It involves what feel like to the child to be play activities, but are cleverly crafted to help the child to practice communication and to learn some language skills, of course. For older children, they have more awareness of their difficulties and they are sophisticated enough to think through those, right? So they have some, some meta uh, cognition and, and metalinguistic awareness. And so they can take a little bit more ownership of their problem. The interventions might be helping them to prepare the, the language-based materials that are relevant to their classroom activities, their exams, their strategies for communicating with other children and with teachers in the classroom, those kinds of things. A lot of school speech language pathologists will not only work one-on-one with a child, but will be in the classroom sort of coaching and facilitating. And the extent to which it's one or the other kind of varies across school systems and the needs of the child. In the article, you list quite a few things that people who have DLD could experience in their life and say they're six times more likely to have reading disabilities, six times more likely to have significant spelling problems, four times more likely to struggle with math, and 12 times more likely to face all three. And you also mention employment, many other issues that people are, are more likely to experience. Um, yes. And you also tie it into inequities associated with DLD. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. What you have listed are heightened risks among people with DLD. So it certainly doesn't mean that everyone with DLD is going to have problems learning to spell or that everyone with DLD is, when they grow up, are going to be unemployed. It certainly doesn't mean anything like that. But it makes sense that they're at heightened risk for these problems because language and communication are such critical foundations for learning and professional activities. It's pretty easy to imagine that a person who finds language to be challenging will also find these sorts of 
everyday activities like learning to read or when they're older, securing and keeping a job, it's just going to be tougher. I want to ask you about how advocacy and research have intertwined in your career. You co-founded DLD&Me, a group raising awareness and offering resources about the language disorder. Tell me about mixing advocacy and research. So the focus on advocacy is a fairly new focus for me in my career. I really, for a long time, I, I knew my goal was to contribute to the knowledge base by doing research and to contribute to the field by helping to educate speech-language pathologists to be, and those are two very important goals. But when I read the Bishop 2010 paper and realized how little research attention is paid to this particular condition, it struck me that it's not just a matter of, okay, let's all do more research. It's a much more difficult and perhaps reciprocal problem. So a hidden disorder is not going to be identified as readily and people are not going to know about it. And then there isn't going to be as much interest in funding that research, which means we do less research, right? And so it just keeps cycling and feeding each other. And I thought really what we need to do is to reverse this downward sort of cycle into an upward cycle. And I think a really important part of that is advocacy, is helping people to understand what this condition is and why it matters. You're bringing awareness to this subject, advocating for more research. I'm wondering to an audience of CSD professionals, what might be your message? If you're in the schools and you're a speech language pathologist, keep up the good fight. You know, while you're serving these children, you're helping them. When you get a chance to talk to their families, help them to understand the condition that their child has. I do think that it will be challenging for school clinicians to serve more of these children because they're really spread thin, which means that we also need to work on the policy end so that the system can improve. We can't put all this burden on the shoulders of the school clinicians alone. Well, Carla McGregor, thank you so much for your time this morning. I appreciate it. I really enjoy talking to you about this. I appreciate the opportunity to say the words developmental language disorder to a large group. Thanks. Want to learn more about DLD? I recommend starting with the resources in the ASHA practice portal. Find links to the pages for both spoken and written language disorders on the blog post for this episode. That's at leader.pubs.asha.org. You can read Carla's full award-winning article online. It's called How We Fail Children with Developmental Language Disorder. Find a link to it on the blog post for this episode. That's at on.asha.org slash podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with another ASHA Editors Award winner, Lauren Calandrusio. We discuss auditory perception in the classroom. Next week, we honor International Stuttering Awareness Day with an encore publication of our February episode, Stuttering in the Spotlight. Find that in the podcast feed in one week. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader magazine. Support for ASHA Voices is provided by the Hannon Center. Hannon programs are about more than language. They're about building the connections that make families' lives better. Visit the Hannon virtual booth at the ASHA convention to see how Hannon programs can enrich your practice. 
Support for Ashen Voices is also provided by CapTel from T-Mobile with captioned phones that fit every patient, regardless of their income, technology access, or needs. CapTel from T-Mobile serves the unique hearing needs of every patient. Learn more at t-mobile.com slash CapTel. Production assistance for Asha Voices comes from Pamela Lawrence. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is Asha Voices.